The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the Movies Edition of the AV Podcast. In this episode, we've got the latest DVD and HD news. We look at American Werewolf, Forbidden Planet, and Harry Potter on HD DVD. And get a little carried away with HD in general. And in our round table, we discuss comic book superheroes who've crossed over to the big screen. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. And it's time for this week's DVD and High Definition News. And as always, we start with Seth Gecko. Well, HD fans will rejoice in the news that Warner Home Video have announced that Happy Feet will be coming out on HD DVD and Blu-ray on March the 27th. The difference between the two formats is that the HD DVD will be a combo disc with a true HD soundtrack and the Blu-ray will only have the obligatory 5.1 EX soundtrack. Both discs will contain the exact same extras as the standard DVD release which includes new fully animated additional sequences such as Mumble Meets a Blue Whale and a Happy Feet moment. There will be a private dance lesson with Savian Glover, the motion caption dancer for the film, a music video by Gia and Prince, and a classic cartoon called I Love to Singer. So, Happy Feet, not sure if anybody's looking forward to that. Anybody? I am. It's great. Well, it's okay, but it's going to keep uh, my little lad very happy because he enjoyed the movie, and it'd be nice to have that in HD. Um, there's a Blu-ray release as well, did you say? It's coming out on both HD DVD yeah. and Blu-ray. I'll certainly be purchasing one or the other. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it just to keep him happy and from under my feet for a while. So, yeah, that's that's one to pencil into my diary. So what about adults? Is it is it the type of film that adults will enjoy, Chris? No, I don't think so at all. Um, the people I saw it with at the flicks, they and the reviews that I read about it afterwards always seem to say that, yes, it's got something for everyone. Actually, no, I, didn't. I felt very sort of alienated and cut off from this uh, rather cutesy tale. The singing and the dancing was a bit of a turn-off for me, but uh, animation-wise, it was it was pretty good, pretty a, a glowing um, movie without a doubt. Okay, then. So, uh, in other news this week, Chris, what have you got? Well, finally, um, on 10th of April, we are going to get the season two of Twin Peaks, the seminal cult classic, classy, compelling drama, existential surrealism, a go-go. Um, finally, this, this is the long-awaited second season. It's going to include uh, a Dolby Ditch 5.1 surround and the original two-channel two audio alongside a Spanish dub. And I'm not too sure what extra stuff is going to be on this, but it, apparently it's all 22 episodes and they're restored from high-definition masters. It's not apparently on HD, but um, you know, it, it's something to look forward to. I don't know if anyone else was a fan of the TV show when it was originally on. Um, I wasn't at the time myself, but it kind of grew on me, as a lot of uh, David Lynch's stuff eventually seems to do. You can't really avoid it if you're into movies or you're into TV shows. These things have a habit of coming back and finding you. And um, it certainly is a very unsettling, but very, I don't know, it gets inside you and won't leave you alone. And I'm, I've not seen it for quite some time, and I'm, yeah, this is something that I'll, I'm bound to pick up myself as well. Well, I've got to say, I've never really been a Twin Peaks fan. What about you other guys? I'm like Chris, I never, uh, 
I never got into it at the time, but a while later, uh, it, it sort of sucked me in. And I've seen the first season, but I've always, um, well, I've never managed to get a hold of the second season. So I'll be really looking forward to the second season release. So staying with uh, Lynch's films, I understand, um, Simon, you've got some news on that. I do, yes. On the 12th of March, Mulholland Drive is being released by uh, Optimum Home Entertainment on Region 2 DVD, uh, starring Naomi Watts and Laura Haring in a uh, rather good scene they have together. Um, Extras on this one, we have a making of. There's uh, an exclusive interview with Mary Sweeney and Angelo Badalamenti. We have a Cannes 2001 press conference, a trailer and something called an Inland Empire 10-minute preview. Um, Film, yeah, I quite like this one, actually. Um, Particularly dark. Um, It's typical Lynch, actually. It veers all over the place. Um, You never really know where you're going. Even when the film ends, you think, wow, what exactly did I just see there? It begs to be seen two or three times. Um, So I'm looking forward to this one, actually, on DVD. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to Marlon Drive as well. Is uh, as everyone stated before, it's a typical uh, Lynch movie, uh, twists throughout, really dark plot, and um, those scenes that don't make any sense. You just have to go back and watch the whole movie again and try and put it all together. And probably even then, you still can't make sense of it. It's great stuff. So going over to uh, Blu-ray, and we have Stranger Than Fiction due to come out on Region A on the twenty seventh of February. This disc is released by Sony Home Pictures and is the story which follows Will Ferrell as he goes about his uh, his life of solitude and starts hearing voices in his head, which is Emma Thompson's character, who's a writer. The disc will have a 1080p, 185 to 1 widescreen transfer and English PCM 5.1 sound. And a few of the extras in there, we have actors in search of a story, picking up the right team on location in Chicago, as well as a few other uh, featurettes and... Uh, a special effects piece discussing the graphics used in the film. So Will Ferrell, Queen Latifah, Dustin Hoffman and Emma Thompson. This sounds like a, a really uh, interesting comedy film to search out and find. What do you guys think? I've not seen it, but I have heard good things about it. And I like the, I like the concept behind it. Um, uh, the, a guy suddenly realises that he is part of someone else's work of fiction, which I think is quite clever. His normal life... His whole career, his life, his existence is, you know, is not his own. It's been created, and uh, of course, the the pitch being that he's going to find out that the author is going to kill off his character, and he has to, of course, I think I'm right in saying he has to try to get in touch with her to save his own life, be it fictitious or real or what. I think it's quite a good idea, quite a novel, novel. Haha, <laughs> do you get it? Quite a novel <laughs> approach, and uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting. I don't know if I'll actually pick it up or just borrow it of someone, but yeah, I'll probably end up seeing that at some point. And that wraps up our DVD and HD news for this week. The biggest news and the best, best, best reviews. Best reviews. Hard, tiring work. You're listening to the AV Podcast. This week's DVD reviews. Right, for this week's uh, DVD reviews, we're going to do it slightly differently this week um, because we've all taken delivery uh, of our new HD DVD players and some of us are actually taking delivery of Blu-ray as well. So to do that, we've been having a look at some HD DVD discs and I know Chris has had a look at two. So Chris, what have you looked at this week? 
Well, first of all, let me just say that how pleased I am to finally have HD and to really be able to enjoy it at the moment. And um, yeah, the, the first two titles that I received were absolute classics. Films I've covered quite, quite comprehensively before, and to go into the actual film details themselves would be kind of superfluous. The first one is the HD copy of Forbidden Planet. Yes, as we all know, it's an absolute favourite of mine, and um, the recent Ultimate Edition that came out, Standard Edition, had a glowing transfer. It was MGM restored, and we know they can work wonders. If you're going to look at Wizard of Oz for that, and yeah, the Standard Edition looked great. I actually thought, well, how could it look any better on uh, on HD? Well, the full 1080p transfer of this is simply glowing again. Uh, it offers a little bit more detail. The, the the depth of the image is a lot better. Although it's not a huge step up from the Standard Edition. The, the reward, you know, the rewards are plain to be seen. Um, the, the colours, as I say, are more striking. The visual backdrops, the painted map backgrounds, actually seem to have more texture to them now. They blend in a bit better. The the depth, of the, um, the the Krell technology in the vast labyrinths beneath Morbius's house. Well, yeah, even though they're map paintings again, they just seem more vibrant, more alive. Faces have more definition, more clarity. Uh, the laser beams and the Krell monster, the monster from the id, once it's highlighted in the, the laser beams from the, the, the crew of the starship, yeah, it looks absolutely amazing. It, it seems to spring forth from the screen. It is a great, great transfer. It's also now been enhanced with a, um, a Dolby Digital Plus 5.1 track. Uh, now, again, this does sound slightly better than the standard edition, which had um, just a lowly... I say, I say lowly, but it had a revamped uh, Dolby Digital 5.1 surround track on it. Um, again, the old adage applies. Old movies, do they really warrant having surround tracks? Well, yeah, yeah, they do. This actually does sound more immersive. The standard edition had a nice way of having speakers move around the setup. The, um, the, the sound effects actually followed the speakers around the room. Um, the laser bolts and primarily the uh, experimental electric tonalities as the score was called at the time they come out really really well um, and again in the Dolby Digital Plus it's a little bit more enhanced it's a little bit wider at, at, at the, across the frontal array and um, there's not a great deal taking place in the rear speakers at all LFE not a great deal there apart from the roar of the the id monster and a few moments of um, bombastic sort of um, musical uh, aggression, but definitely it, it does sound like an improvement, albeit not much of one, but it's certainly nice to have. Uh, the All the special features that were on the original standard edition are all here, um, and of course now it's only on one disc, where of course originally it was, on, it was on two discs, and it's absolutely great, and I thoroughly recommend it. The other film that I received was the Combi disc um, for American Wealth in London, which has the high def version on side A and the standard edition on side B. I, I've reviewed and I've spoken at length about American Elf before. The transfer for the standard edition is, well, it's pretty woeful to be honest. Now that's not a fault of the transfer itself, it's a fault of the actual movie. The movies never look good, never. It's it's grainy, It's the, the blacks are terrible, the, uh, the colour contrast is awful. Uh, it's never, never looked gleaming, never looked like a splendidly, you know, um, a scintillating visual experience. Great film, though, of course, an absolute classic. And, you know, you, 
you can sort of paper over its its visual discrepancies because it's such a good movie. When it came out on DVD a couple of years ago, um, it had a nice new surround sound track on it as well, DTS and Dolby Digital 5.1. A lot of people don't like them. Personally, I do. They do sound a little bit bogus in some places. Some it's a little bit too harsh, a little bit, you know, not convincing. But it puts you in the middle of the movie, which is great. For example, the opening scenes on the moors, Wealth is, is walking around, are two likeable victims, David and Jack, and it does sort of move around the speakers. That's great, that's exactly what you want. Gunshots sound very very loud, and um, they, they will jot you out of your seat, the roar of the werewolf, the activity in Piccadilly Circus at the end, of all the, the water wall carnage. Yeah, it comes alive. Now, of course, now we have the HD version, Adobe Digital Plus, adds virtually nothing to the um, original um, surround sound mixes. The DTS was the winner on the original and that is being recaptured on side B of this disc as well. I'd say Dolby Digital Plus slightly maybe edges that one out but it's not, there's not a great deal in it at all. But the most important thing of course is how does it fare up visually? Well, I'm afraid it's still the same transfer, obviously, and this film is never going to look anything compared to the latest blockbusters. But having said that, if you know the film, and of course if you buy this disc you can check out the standard edition, then flip it over and watch the HD and you will see what the rewards are. The details are there to be seen. For example, we're in the end, uh, the infamous slaughtered lamb, the, the pub on the moors which are two <laughs> hapless American visitors stumble into. Well, all you got to do is look behind the bar and whether you want to or not, now you can read all the labels on all the uh, the bottles behind the bar. The landlady coming over, you can quite clearly see uh, the detail and the clarity on the dress she's wearing. A couple of other moments in it which really stand out, um, offering more depth and uh, certainly more clarity and more definition. You know, a lot of the street scenes seem a lot clearer. Um, the grain is still there, they, they can't really avoid that. Um, it, again, it's nothing compared to, you know, the latest movies. It never will be. It never, never will be. But certainly the HD is a, is a huge improvement on the original. It has bad material to work from, but it makes a damn good job of it. All the extras which featured on the original releases for Region 1 and Region 2 for American Werewolf are all brought back in here. On the HD side of it, you have the commentary track from Griffin Dunn and David Norton. Sporadic, um, but entertaining few funny moments and it's nice to hear the two reminisce about a film from so long ago um, it, it's it's worth listening to on the side B with the standard standard edition you have all the other actors which were had as a making of which was a bit of bit of puff pastry from the, from the actual time the film was made but it's quite funny to look at now uh, you have an interview with Rick Baker to the uh, Oscar winning makeup effects which is nice you have an interview with John Landis, which is which is even nicer. John Landis proves to be such a gregarious, enthusiastic um, OTT filmmaker. You can't you can't help but be affected by his, you know, his his sheer love of, of movies and this particular genre. It's um, it's a great package. Um, I I can't help but recommend it. So, Chris, with these two discs, do you get the uh, the new in movie experience picture uh, in picture extras? Then, sadly, no, you don't. Um, Basically, you just get the enhanced movie, uh, the enhanced sound quality, and the usual plethora of extras which, which adorn the original releases. Um, so they haven't really taken full advantage of the uh, of what HD can do. 
But at least you're getting the movies in an enhanced mode, which is nice. So you mentioned those two movies, and they're both real classics. We'll go back to Forbidden Planet. Um, you'll have to forgive me if you if you have already said this, but I take it that Forbidden Planet did get a restoration recently on the print. Oh, most certainly did, yeah. Um, and it is glorious to behold. I had the original Region 1 release of it. And although it was anamorphically enhanced, there was lots of speckles, lots of dirt. The colours weren't terrific. There was grain um, swirling all over the image. Um, well, not so now. The, the grain the grain is there. I mean, you're not going to avoid that, really. But the nicks, the scratches have been removed. The colours are exceptionally vibrant. The image is rock steady. It's totally stable. Blacks are, are really, really um, solid. Um, the contrast is great. It's a lovely, crisp image. The recently restored um, standard edition that blew me away, and I really didn't think that you know the HD version would actually go a step further. But it certainly has. It looks deeper. It looks. It's just more eye candy. It's great. That's um, uh, that's something I've certainly noticed recently with um, with with the HD stuff. And obviously, I mean, 35 mil. You've got all the detail on there when it's originally captured, but. Like old old films usually do, that the the sometimes they lose that detail because the prints get older and older, and each time they clean it up, um, it doesn't really look as good as it could be. But um, some of the old time discs out there, and we all cover them in coming weeks. But you got the likes of Casablanca. I was absolutely blown yeah. away by the detail and and the real depth of field which you now <laughs> behold on HD. It, it, it's stunningly good, isn't it? See, this is what I want to explore now, because as we know, I love the old vintage horror movies, and I've said, I've stated in a few reviews um, over the last few months, how good is this restored version going to look on HD? Particularly the likes of Dracula and Frankenstein from the ni- 1931. I mean, how much better could they actually look? And I, I was of the, the school of opinion where a film from that vintage, still with all the grain, still with all the nicks and damage on it, well, a lot have been removed, but you know, you know what I mean, but if it's been enhanced, if it's actually more higher definition, higher resolution, are we? Is it going to look worse? It could actually look worse. You know what I mean? So, you know, but Forbidden Planet has now certainly um, helped me to, well, re- reevaluate my um, anticipation for some of these releases coming out. And yeah, it, it certainly bodes well because yeah, you can see a lot more. The restoration jobs on particularly the MGM movies is, is phenomenal. So it's not surprising when you think about it that an HD release of the likes of Forbidden Planet and hopefully, you know, Wizard of Oz. I don't know if anyone knows if that's coming out at some point. I'm sure it will be. But that should look absolutely, you know, amazing, shouldn't it? Yep, it really should. So those two discs, both supplied by movietime.com, and you can read the full reviews on AV Play. And uh, just to wrap up the reviews this week, um, I actually went out and bought a disc, which is unlike me these days um, but it's one disc which should have hit the US and didn't and doesn't look like it'll, it will be available in the US until at least June or July and that's Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and this is the fourth film in the Potter franchise and the HD DVD disc has made it to UK shores and it is a little bit funny because when you uh, spin the disc up for the first time you get the FBI warning which is unusual for UK discs but I have to say, this transfer, HD transfer, really has blown me away. Um, the detail is outstanding. One of the scenes um, which really stands out is when they're in the um, main hall and the Goblet of Fire is introduced to the students and they're told that they should place their names within the fire and uh, the Goblet will pick the champions who will compete in the Triwizard Tournament. 
the whole depth of field in that scene is really something which should have been evident on uh, the fifth element in the the opera house scene. If I don't know if you know what the one I'm on about, where um, you really should have that depth of, depth of field, and it just wasn't there on the Blu-ray disc. However, on HD DVD and in, in this film. It is absolutely stunning, the whole depth of field, the colour saturations and, and the actual detail in the backgrounds, which is something you lose with DVD. Um, it doesn't matter how good the transfer is on DVD, a lot of the backgrounds are usually um, blurred out in one way or another. The, the, the definition isn't there, but it all comes to life on this HD DVD. The film, well, can't really say I'm that taken on Harry Potter. But to be honest, I, I spun the disc up and once it started, I was there right to the end. I had planned to watch something else last night, but unfortunately I sat and watched the whole of Harry Potter. And I have to say, as far as HD goes, this this is definitely up there as one of the one of the better titles out there. It does have the in-movie experience, which again is another big plus which HD DVD has. And by clicking the in-movie experience feature, you get the little icon at the top of the screen. And as you watch the movie... The picture-in-picture details come up and you have the director and stars and so on who basically talk you through various scenes of the film and how they did the special effects and it actually cuts to footage as, as you're watching the effects happening on the screen, as you're watching the film, you can see how they, how they did that in the corner and it truly is a real step up in how special features apply to these discs. The disc also has a Dolby True HD soundtrack and a Dolby Digital uh, soundtrack and the other extras on there there are some that are filmed in HD mainly it's HD TV material and one feature called Conversations with the Cast which is filmed in uh, with HD cameras and is introduced by Richard Curtis and uh, the main cast are there and they talk about um, obviously uh, their reflections on the fourth film and just to see that in HD again if you haven't seen HD it really is something which, which stands out so I'd have to highly recommend it if you do have an HD DVD player get yourself out there buy Harry Potter Goblet of Fire it's actually cheaper on the HMV website than it is going in store still believe it's around about the £20 mark in store you'll get for 15 quid on the website so what do you guys think about HD so far now that you've uh, now that you've all witnessed the technology and had your first few review discs through it's glorious yeah it, it, it really is um, especially as I've got like a now a 50 52 inch 1080p screen to view them on and the whole world for me has opened up cinematically in our living room it's quite tremendous to be honest and um, yeah I've, I've loved them <laughs> from what I've seen so far I haven't seen anything that's uh, you know that's, that's not proved the advantages of, of higher definition I've got to admit I went out and bought a whole host of HD DVD discs recently and uh, I spent most of the last couple of days just um, not watching full movies but just um, flicking the scenes I that I know already on, on DVD and just to see how it looks we in, love it don't we yeah. I mean Serenity the, the actual space battle near the end in Serenity I was just blown away completely three dimensional yeah, huge depth of field to what you're watching so yeah we're excited but one guy who's had HD for a while is Seth Gecko so Seth um, you've had it for a while is it still blowing you away? I, I wasn't blown away with it I don't think ever uh, and I'm, st- uh, I'm still not. Uh, it's, it's really, it's a tough question. I noticed it, it being much um, sharper, and therefore the details there. Um, 
I, I think the problem is, is a lot of people have been saying things along the lines of, um, "Oh, it's the quantum leap from VHS to DVD," and I don't, I don't actually agree with that philosophy. It, it's um, um, just an increase of resolution um, by about six times the information, so everything is sharper, and as you say, does look generally better. You get more depth, more detail. Um, the colours appear more vibrant, um, but I, I still. I still am being a bit of the antichrist, I suppose, by saying it still hasn't blown me away. I I will say that um, some more of the movies that I've seen in, in more recent times are beginning to impress me more than I was originally. Um, I think King Kong um, had a very good transfer. I think V for Vendetta, Batman, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and as of yesterday I watched Poseidon. Um, with a true HD soundtrack, and that was very, very good. Um, so I'm get it's getting there for me. I'm warming up to it more, probably than um, you guys are. Um, I, I probably just need a hell of a lot more impressing than a lot of other people. I, th- I think the one group of people that really will impress are um, people like myself and maybe Chris, who have the larger screens um, and DVD. Um, on larger screens, it really start. You really start to see the artifact issues and and so on. And the 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 big plus point with HD DVD and Blu-ray is the fact that a lot of these artifacts are now gone. The pictures well, sharper. Amazing, yeah. So when you're blowing it up to bigger picture sizes, that's really where you're gonna the extra um, resolution, the extra depth of field, the color saturation. That's really the, what's going to make a big difference. The temptation to uh, to press your nose up against the screen and to lose no clarity no sharpness is, is absolutely amazing and I, I'm still totally blown away by it at the moment but I mean again a lot of the older movies which because I haven't got that many on HD at the moment but one of the films I really couldn't wait to watch was The Thing and it was an early release wasn't it on, on HD surprisingly early in fact and uh, a full 1080p transfer and when I spun that disc I mean, this is a film I know off by heart. It's like Jaws, it's like Gladiator to me. I've watched it so many times, yet I couldn't put a, a number to it. But again, it was like watching a different movie. I was seeing things that I'd never seen before. Um, and I don't mean the nose ring on, on the Doctor, and it, which people are saying, oh, I never saw that before. Well, I, I must admit, I'd always seen that, even on the old lowly VHS copies. But one particular sequence, um, which I thought, I'd never seen this, where did this happen? was when uh, McCready, Kurt Russell and the Doctor with the nose ring um, enter the old burnt out remains of the Norwegian camp towards the start of the movie and as they as they investigate the wreckage, there's quite clearly a fire um, burning beneath the floor of the of the camp. Now you, you see it off to the left of the screen, uh, sort of middle ground, it's, it's, you don't see the flames coming out but you see the hole in the floor and you see the pink and the orange and the red burning away and uh, I'd never seen that before in my life. I, th- I, had to, I had to go back and watch it again. I'm like, wow! And again, the frozen corpse in, in that same sequence. For the first time ever, you can see the colour of his hair. I mean, it's not an issue that you'd ever really thought about before, but all of a sudden, with the enhanced clarity, the sharper definition, all of a sudden you can see these things. And it just opens up the film again. Particularly for films that you know and love. This is the kind of thing where it's a film you know so well, you've bought, you've bought the VHS, you've had TV versions of it, 
you've seen it in the flicks, you've, you know the film very well and you've seen its various incarnations and now to see it in this kind of glory um, again you are seeing it sort of for the first time all over again and for complete and utter movie nuts like a lot of us it's, it's a revelation, it's, it's great to see um, and at the moment I'm still enjoying my you know, discovery of, of, of these of what high def can do and as uh, as Fuller said, you know, particularly on a, on, a, on a big screen, the rewards are you know totally up there to be seen, and it is a joy to behold without a doubt. Well, I'm sure that we're going to discuss more and more HD DVD and Blu-ray releases um, over the next few months to the years, because um, as of the 31st of January, um, AV Play will be going HD DVD and Blu-ray exclusive with the reviews, and we hope. And we have our fingers crossed that we'll be able to bring you every single HD release uh, for review on the site. And that starts from the 31st of January. So apologies to everybody. This has been a rather long review roundup this week. But um, you have to forgive us because we've all just recently, um, the majority of us recently, uh, jumped on the HD DVD Blu-ray bandwagon. And um, as, you, as you've heard, it has surprised and astonished a lot of us. And um, I guess we're all really excited to get stuck in amongst the discs, guys, aren't we? Um, yeah, I, I can't wait. HD has blown me away so far, and I can't wait to compare and contrast Blu-ray to HD and to enjoy all the titles that are going to be coming out on these higher-resolution formats. It certainly is the future of movies as far as I'm concerned at the moment, yeah. So for all our listeners and readers of avplay.com... Uh, from 31st of January we shall be reviewing every HD DVD and Blu-ray release for the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews visit avplay.com this week's roundtable discussion so we took a little bit longer than normal with our reviews this week uh, but we weren't going to leave you without having done a roundtable and this week's roundtable is superheroes in the movies. Now, usually we start with Chris on these types of things, but I know Chris has got plenty to say, so we'll leave that till the end. Let's start... I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry, but we're going to start someone else this week. We're going to start with Kaz, and I know Kaz is a big comic book fan. So, Kaz, what about superheroes in the movies? Well, superheroes in movies, it's just completely taken off. Um, In the old days, it was always always like Batman or or Superman and uh, obviously they went through their cycles of their franchises respectively and then uh, it all suddenly broke back through with um, Spider-Man movies and the X-Men movies um, and since then it, we've just seen a plethora of superheroes come to the big screen uh, with mixed results. I have to say that I, I love uh, seeing heroes I never thought on the big screen um, appear and I love the fact that it's it's uh, it's tapped into this resource of ideas, which is the comic book genre of movies. And we see things like, uh, sort of on a breakthrough, we see things like Frank Miller's books coming to, coming to the screen. And whether or not you class them as superheroes, they're, they're still the comic book genre. Um, unfortunately, I think perhaps we're going a bit too far this year. I'm looking forward to Spider-Man 3, but I'm not convinced on the idea of having so many so many different villains. Uh, I think I think um, the plan is for, uh, well, not to put too many spoilers in here, but most people probably know that it's uh, Venom, it's Hobgoblin, and it's Sandman. And Venom is a movie into itself. It doesn't uh, it doesn't need to be sandwiched with others. I can't imagine they're going to make Sandman a small villain. And the Hobgoblin <laughs> saga is uh, 
is, you know, it, I mean, it ties into the first movie. So I'm not, I'm not sold on the number of villains in there unless they're planning on making a three-hour director's cut. Um, but it, it I'm does sure have it'll... a Batman, a Batman and Robin sort of feel to it, doesn't it? For having too many characters in there. Well, they seem to do that with sequels. Every sequel needs more villains. Now, I think they did really well with Spider-Man 2. They had Doctor Octopus, and they just sort of kept it simple, and it was it was really good. But jumping in and having so many in this one, it's just it's just a bit foreboding for me. But then again, he hasn't done badly with the last two, so definitely going to enjoy it. Um, but as you say, Venom, that really is such a huge character in the mythology of Spider-Man to suddenly be shoehorned into this one. Maybe it's a misstep. Maybe that should have been the next three movies, if if they're going to be any, any movies after this. Maguire's not going to do any more, is he? Apparently, this is his his parting song for um, for Spidey. But to be honest, I'm more interested in what they're going to do after it because you've got possible options now. You've had Doc Ock and Sandman. You could go with the, the uh, Sinister Six. Um, the Hob- I'm not sure it's Hobgoblin that's going to be in Spider-Man 3 because if that was the case then they've completely torn away from the comic books because Hobgoblin wasn't anything to do with Oswald yeah, directly that, that's right yeah. um, and then you've also got Venom which also means then you've also got the, the possibility of the beginning of Carnage Carnage yes well that's why I thought Venom should have been given his own movie because Venom makes me think Carnage and uh, they could have done perhaps those, sandwich those together, but I suppose that's a timeline issue. Well, there's more to it than that. I mean, first of all, the Venom suit introduction is going to be totally wrong because Spider-Man got that during the Secret Wars, so they can't actually go that way, so they have to reinvent the genesis of the suit. Um, in terms of Venom and Carnage anyway, they never liked each other, even though they were both villains. Um, and at one point, Venom had his own comic book run where he was a sort of an anti-hero like Wolverine because they figured that, well, we've done it with Wolverine, he's an anti-hero, let's do it with Venom because people like Venom. So they kind of done it that way, and so Venom became this kind of anti-hero as well. I'm not sure how they're going to work in quite so much in one movie, though. It just... I mean, as far as I know, Venom's, um, Venom's the whole deal where Spider-Man has to be taken over by Venom. Yeah. And then has to get rid of Venom, and then Ven- Venom doesn't he take over someone else, becomes well, his own entity? I mean, well, and how how can they cram that all into one movie with another two big villains? Well, all it really is is, it, it, I mean, you know, don't. Uh, and isn't the talk of the lizard as well? Uh, well, they've already introduced him. Doc Connors was. Yeah, he's been, been mentioned in the in the first two films, but hasn't he? To but... be fair, so is Eddie Brock. So he was in the first one. It was only a, a real brief blink, and you miss it. But he was in the first one. Um, that, the, all it basically is is that you've got the alien symbiote, which bonds with Spidey, which gives him this the, the, the black cosy. It's only when he bonds with Eddie Brock that he becomes Venom. You know, the actual alien isn't Venom. Um, and then part of that symbiote um, gets fragmented in some shape, size, or form. I can't remember um, the comic history exactly. Um, and that ends up with uh, Cletus Cassidy, who then becomes Carnage. So it's basically, you know, it is an alien life form that merges with somebody to become a character. In the instance of, you know, Eddie Brock, he becomes Venom, and in Cletus's case, he becomes Carnage. I don't know if they get if they're trying to cram too much in. Um, it's it's very strange. I think the biggest problem they've got is that they have got several story strands. Um, 
too many. Uh, you've got Gwen Stacy in this. Episode. I was just want to say, you, yeah, you've got the mix-up with the, uh, the the love interest as well, haven't you? That's it. Well, Gwen, Gwen, I was going to say, comic book fans know the the famous death of Gwen Stacy storyline. Mm. Um, so, and that was Green Goblin. So it can't be Hobgoblin involved. And you know, it's it's going to have to break away a lot from you know the comic book itself. Um, and this is true, to be fair, of quite a lot of the, the superhero movies that we're seeing, that they're, they're sort of semi-rooted in the uh, um, in the comic book itself, but they're trying to reinvent things, and it skews um, the history, and it skews what, you know, the events, um, and it doesn't quite gel, if you know the, you know, the, the actual comic books very well, you know, I mean I, I'm beginning to sound sort of fanboyish knowing them, um, verse chapter and everything, um, but it's, it's like the Fantastic Four. Doom was never uh, subjected to the cosmic rays. Mm. Mind you, I, on the other side of the coin, although you're knocking the Silver Surfer one, they're going to have Galactus and they're going to have Nova, so it could actually work out reasonably well. Only if they don't tr trust the acting talent. Well, are they going to make Galactus as big as he is because he eats planets, doesn't he? Yeah, Devourer of Worlds I mean, has to be huge. He's got to be. So I'm going to be interested to see that. Well, I mean that. Sorry, that reminds me of um. What, I mean, what happened to the whole uh, the uh, the big bad guys in X Men, the um, Sentinels? What happened to the whole? Where did that well, go? Because we've had our three X Men movies, and we've had we've had a, a glimpse of a Sentinel in one yeah. of the training programs, which makes no sense because we haven't actually seen the Sentinels. So if the X Men came up with the Sentinels in the training program, that's a bit worrying, really. But yeah, especially considering in the comic books they're based in the future. Mm. <laughs> and one of the characters that you're introduced to in the third movie is the one responsible for bringing the Sentinel program ahead. So it's all out of kilter. Yeah, that, I don't know. I don't quite know how that all works. And, and they ruined the Cyclops character. Talking well, about like characters that you know well from comics, I mean, God... I, I just I always admired him as like the leader of the X Men and Wolverine as the rogue of the X Men and they're both completely different people. Wolverine just became both in the movies and Cyclops probably largely because the actor who played him and the way his character was written was just uh, this tiny itsy bitsy character who just disappeared in an off screen death. The other thing the other movie coming out, superhero movie this year that I'm a bit worried about is Ghost Rider. Oh, I, I mean I, I think Nick Cage does a fantastic job of picking roles, but I've no idea why he's decided to do Ghost Rider. It's just it's one of these movies that I am not sure should have a comic book hero who I'm not sure should have ever been brought to the big screen. I don't know. As a kid, I, I liked the comics. As a kid, and I mean a very young kid this time, and um, you know, it, it kind of, it kind of caught my imagination. But as a movie, and I've grown up now, and I've seen a lot of uh, you know superhero movies hit the screen with very mixed results. Some I've loved and you know admired and you know tried to emulate in my own small way. <laughs> but uh, you know, Ghost Rider, I don't know. I've seen the trailers for this, and it. It looks shockingly bad, to be honest. It just looks. My son loves the trailer for it. He just thinks it's great. But then again, it's got a, it's got a skull. He's got flames coming out of it. He's riding a bike. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, he, he thinks, wow, that's great. But I think, oh, that looks total cheese. So I don't know. That that's one I, I'll wait for people to see it before me before I take the plunge on that one. I think. So okay, that those are some movies that are coming up. But what about stuff which? Um is already available on DVD or HD DVD or Blu-ray, which we think um, really are the pinnacles of um, 
superheroes or comic heroes coming onto the big screen and really taking off. Well, it's got to be Batman Begins, hasn't it? Got to be Batman Begins. Superb. God, I, I, I could, I could go on for hours, as you know, and, but uh, I won't. It's a great, great movie. Um, it, it, a, a, a totally ailing franchise. A great comic book character who has gone on and on and on for decades now and is not diminishing at all in quality of stories and quality of character in the graphic novels and the comic books. Movie-wise, yeah, Tim Burton certainly did a, a grand job with the first two movies. I kind of liked Batman Forever as well, kind of, but you could see the seeds of doom had been well and truly planted there. Joel Schumacher took over and, oh my God, it was just going to go neon nightmare. Batman and Robin, yep, yeah, as we've already said, it was a travesty, complete travesty. The franchise looked dead in the water. Christopher Nolan comes along, um, an avant-garde sort of director, a, 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 you know, a filmmaker who you wouldn't assume would ever tackle something quite like this. And then Christian Bale, intense, vibrant, um, totally alive, totally committed, um, takes on the role of, of you know, the Dark Knight. And what a movie it was. Yes, it has a bit of a, a rushed ending to it, um, but it crams so much in there, and you do get the feeling that you know this is the Batman that could and should exist in this world. He has the wealth behind him. Um, he has the um, the reasons to do what he's doing. We understand that. We buy into that. He's also we've also seen the training that he's had. You don't see a great deal of it, but you get enough gist that this guy has been around. He knows, he knows roughly what's what. He, he can handle himself. He's got a, a multitude of skills in the martial arts. Um, he knows what he's doing. So this guy, with the funding behind him, you know, he can get out there. He can actually do the things he's doing. It's not so outlandish in this film, but it's tremendously exciting. Um, God knows where they're going to take it next uh, with the Joker coming into it. I don't know how they're going to do this one. Uh, we, we have an element of realism and gritty realism um, with the first movie. What exactly are they going to do with the next one? The Joker is well, the the the, the clown prince of cl of crime um, from um, the comics and the original TV show, and he's OTT. He's you know flamboyant, bizarre, surreal, psychotic, eminently dangerous, but you know, but you you know, very charismatic as well. Now in the sort of urban you know, landscape that they've created now. How is that going to translate so well? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see what they're going to do. It's Heath Ledger, isn't it, who's playing the Joker in this one? Good, a good actor. Give, he, given uh, the right material, he's a good actor. But how, how is it going to translate to this movie? I, I really don't know. Can't wait to see. But <laughs> I think that if they made him much, much darker, like in, uh, I mean, some of the original Batman comics, there's one called The Killing Joke, which yeah, is about yeah. uh, what happens to Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And exactly. the Joker's acts in that are uh, just sadistic and um, completely uncompromising. It's, it's, not, it's not all purple outfits and uh, running hot air parades. No, so he's a totally dangerous psychotic, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, leading the Commissioner around nude, chained up by a bunch of dwarves. Remember rightly, I've got it. Yeah. I've got it somewhere. It's a, it's a shocking read, isn't it? It's, it's a real, it's a real haunting book, and it shows that 
side of the Joker and uh, the kind of side where you realise why everyone's so torn about whether or not he should just be put down, why Batman's so torn that he just he has to bring him to justice and he he knows that probably somewhere inside um, the planet would be better off if he was just wiped off it. See, Tim Burton you know, sort of coined into this one, didn't he? Because one doesn't exist without the other one in the, the mythology that he created. And across the whole spectrum of Batman, Batman and the Joker, they're, they're symbiotic, aren't they? They need each other to to give them reasons to exist, to carry on. Batman, for some unknown reason, I mean, if I was Batman, I would just kill, kill them all right away. You've got the strength, you've got the powers, just do it. And, you know, the, revol the endlessly revolving door of Arkham Asylum, <laughs> all the, the Rose Gallery end up back in there, they always get back out again. But it's keeping Batman employed. It's giving him a hobby. It's giving them a reason to get back at Gotham and get back at their nemesis. So it's endlessly, you know, recycling itself, but never boringly either. That's the that's the crucial factor. I think it's I think it's looking good so far. Um, we got all the rest of the cast are on board. I think like Michael Caine, uh, Morgan Freeman, they're all coming back for the sequel. So um, it's yeah. a, it's yeah. a solid way of doing it. So, guys, moving on, Batman, big favourite of ours. What about other superheroes uh, that have made it onto the big screen that, that have been successful in their crossover? Well, the major success, obviously, would be the, the X-Men franchise. Brian, Sim Brian Singer, you know, started the ball rolling with the, the rather... It, it was cool, but it was sort of not a complete movie, X-Men, the original film. I loved it, but a lot of people I know thought, hang on, not enough action in that. Don't know what it was all about, really. Then he came back with X-Men 2. Very solid, great, great movie. Heart, soul, emotion was in there. Some great action set pieces. And he got the balance right between superheroics and character and story. And also paved the way for you know a, great, you know, a bigger mythology around it. He did a pretty good job of bringing in people who didn't know who the X-Men were. Um, I wasn't a great fan of the X-Men comics. But I was a big fan of Wolverine, though. I'd always take, always read the, the Wolverine spin-offs myself, and I thought he was the one I, I, I liked. Didn't really like the uh, the other X-Men because it just it was just too much of a you know a mismatch of different personalities, and I don't know. But having said that, now I've seen the movies, all three, and I actually quite liked the third one as well. Brett Ratner's attempt at the the last stand, I actually quite like that movie because it does what it says on the tin. It's a whole big bunch of superheroes just giving it plenty of action and going at it and lots of superpowers, lots of action and I, yeah, I, I liked it but as I say the X-Men franchise, it brought me back into the comics so I've gone back it, into reading some of the uh, the X-Men comics the Dark Phoenix saga in particular and you know it, that, that's always a good thing, so that was, that was a major success and obviously on the back of the success of X-Men a lot of the other Marvel characters have suddenly come scratching themselves to the, uh, the celluloid, haven't they? Everyone's leaping on the bandwagon now. So, guys, it looks like we've talked about just about everything. We've probably missed one or two, but we are running against the clock now. So just to wrap things up, what are you looking forward to in terms of superheroes or comic stars on the big screen? Well, it's for me personally, Spidey 3 is looking tremendous. The next Batman movie uh, is obviously going to be looming large and my cinematic life, so Fantastic Four, n no, I'm not too bothered about, it's, it's the big hitters for me, I think, so, and on the small screen, by the way, um, there's a Hellboy animated show 
coming out very, very soon on DVD. I think it's the start of next month. I will be getting that. I'm looking forward to that. And I think that could translate pretty well, actually. Um, Spider-Man 3 is a must-see, especially because I'm really interested in to see how that pans out for Spider-Man 4, because you know that's going to be inevitable. Um, looking forward to seeing how they're going to handle Galactus in the Fantastic Four movie. Um... I'm not sure if I really care for Robert Downey Jr. being Iron Man or Nicolas Cage as Ghost Rider. Um, 2008, we have The Dark Knight, as uh, Chris has already lusted after. Um, but we also have Wolverine, the movie, which could be quite interesting, depending on where they go with that as well. Well, I don't think there are many left off the list there, but I am looking forward to a sequel to Sin City. Arguably not a superhero movie, it's certainly... Uh a comic book based movie and um, I really loved the first movie, I uh, loved Mickey Rourke as Marv and looking forward to seeing him back in the sequel So that's our round table for this week we've been talking superheroes and comic book heroes on the big screen and don't forget to tune in next week for our next round table conversation Made by Enthusiasts For Enthusiasts Wow, a free movie, thanks This is the AV Podcast and that wraps up the movies podcast for this week. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening. Stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Player Review Team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.